follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad, here with Matt and Brad. Gentlemen, how are you holding up? Doing fine. I'm doing good. Excellent. Glad to hear it. We want to thank you all for joining us this evening. We know that uh, things might be, at the time we're recording this, things are still a little bit tense, and everyone's probably staying at home and all that good stuff, so we're happy to offer you just... God, just a you know a little bit of a little bit of fun, hopefully fun distraction from everything that's going on. Want to shout out? Give her a couple of shout outs. Uh, first of all, we'll go to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. Collar and Elbow Brand dot com. Use the promo code for Corners Podcast. That's the number four. Capital C in Corners, Capital P in Podcast. Save ten percent off your order. They're still sending stuff out, so get your stuff. Be comfy. Enjoy your comfortable wrestling attire. And then we have another shout-out, don't we, Matt? That's right. That's to uh, Epico Cologne, also known as Orlando Cologne. Yep. Um, and he uh, he has merchandise now, like on pro wrestling tees. Yes, he does. Not uh, not not with collar and elbow, unfortunately. No. But he does have uh, a page on pro wrestling tees, so if you guys want to help Orlando out in the Ep- Orlando slash Epico Mm-hmm. In these um, in these times, because obviously live shows aren't happening, then uh, I would go over there and buy some of his merch. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> those out of the way, we want to let you guys know that tonight we're well, we're we're tackling a. I, I, it, it's hard to call it forgotten, but like a, a non maybe a non credited or non discussed segment of of wrestling history is that a fair way of putting it yeah i would say so because well we 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 had been planning to do this and um last week we went to a different topic but we kind of touched on it briefly but for some reason when you listen to podcasts and we're especially guilty of this oh yeah you hear a lot of talk about the 1980s, the 1990s. You can even find stuff about the 1970s, like with relative ease. And especially like modern day stuff and stuff from this decade. But there's something just about the 2000s that um, really just kind of get glossed over. It's kind of, to me, that's kind of like the forgotten age of wrestling. Because I was, I was thinking back when we were going to talk about this especially on this podcast, and I think we've really only done, like, a single match from this era, and that was Loki versus Samoa Joe. Hmm. Um, We, mm, I know we've made references to it, but you may be, I don't know that we have really talked about much in this time frame. 
I think we've talked about some Ring of Honor here and there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right about that. But anyway, it's it's a topic that, um, well, is ripe for discussion because apparently nobody else is doing it. So we're going to, in my head, uh, in an attempt to to put a catchy name on it, I was calling it the Forgot Ots, but that just that doesn't really flow and I hadn't come up with anything better. So... The years two the years two thousands, still not working. God, what's well, kind of an interest? I think the other thing too is what kind of also makes it a little bit of a forgotten era is um, the change in technology because the two thousands is kind of the era where the DVD happened and footage kind of became affordable, but then the DVD was kind of quickly forgotten because streaming hit the scene in this decade. So it's just, um, there's a lot about that era that's just kind of forgotten. I would say streaming pretty, still wasn't prevalent like it is now. It wasn't anything like it is now. No, no. I mean, I mean the, the 2000s is kind of the era of the DVD, but streaming mm-hmm. of this decade, like starting around, oh, I, see. I would say 2010, 2011. <clears throat> yeah. When we started getting the iPay-per-view really kind of killed the DVD. Given the um, the slow pace of change for a lot of the regular technologies, like you know, from going to um, you know going from beta to VHS or going from VHS to DVD, that was like multiple decades. So years for twenty-ish years for VHS. Yeah, um, and it, it VHS probably lasted into this decade. And DVD is still going, but like even like something like Blu-ray. I mean, I think what Blu-ray had three or four years of being like a like a premiere format, yeah, yeah, and it mm-hmm. was done pretty. There's quick. there's not a yeah the, it, that's just not the priority for how people are consuming media now, and it happened it happened relatively like you know the course of what what would we say like six seven years maybe. Um, say so. Yeah, it, it, relatively fast, not you know, super quick overnight. But in terms of how these things change, you know, that, that's pretty that's a pretty fast turnaround for that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it, and we're gonna kind of. I did a little bit of digging, and I figured you guys did a little bit of digging, and we're gonna kind of hit on some stuff from that time period that either stood out to us or we think need, you know, merits discussion, things like that. And um, I know I'm going to be clacking on my keyboard a little bit just to to reference stuff because part of my memory hole here was that the the string that happened in this decade, at least for me, was the um, uh, college and fresh out of college years where, oddly, I didn't have as much access to stuff as I I, I did previously, you know, because on my campus they had this like, oh yeah, we give you we give you guys TV here it is this is what you get, and I'm looking at it, I'm like where's the stuff I was wanting to watch and uh, not really there, and then right after I graduated, uh, you know that that much as I wanted to, it wasn't the priority to get my hands on it, so uh, I think that. I think the one thing I want to I want to talk about real quick mm-hmm. uh, before we really kick this off is I want to talk about probably I think one of the most infamous tournaments of the 2000s, which is the 2004 Ted Petty Invitational. Hmm. 
and just to talk about the first round matches of that because the, the star <clears throat> power in this is absolutely astonishing. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blow through them real quick and then mm-hmm. we can we can kind of discuss this collection. But so round one, Samoa Joe versus Roderick Strong, Nigel McGinnis versus Claudio Castagnoli, Chris Sabin versus Rain Man, Danny Daniels versus Todd Sexton, J- AJ Styles versus Jimmy Rave, Matt Seidel versus Sal Renaro. Super Dragon vs. Eric Cannon, Petey Williams vs. BJ Whitmer, Chris Hero vs. Mike Quackenbush, Nate Webb vs. Hallowicked, CM Punk vs. Austin Aries, and Brian Danielson vs. Alex Shelley. Good lord. How often is it you pull a list of, of names from, I'll be honest, a tournament that I... I didn't even recognize the name of, but I recognized pretty much every name on that list. Uh, this is um, this was like my white whale show because I remember this being on um, the Smart Mark Smart Marks video website. I think the double VHS was like forty five bucks or something. Oh, okay. I remember the Smart Marks forums, but I don't remember the website, to be honest. It's a they they did a lot of like the indie promotion stuff. That's where you got like Chikara's stuff before streaming really hit. Okay. Um, but the, the IWA MS was actually or Mid South was actually there's about a what what would you say, Matt? Like a four year period where it might have been the second or third best indie promotion behind Ring of Honor. Which one? Uh, IWA Mid South. Uh, yeah, it had a lot of heat for a while because they had people like Chris Hero and CM Punk kind of regularly doing shows. Yeah. Uh, and they had they there was good matches that you could find on that promotion. Uh, it's just that Ian Rotten was such like a scumbag. Yeah. Eventually, kind of all imp- kind of all imploded everything. But yeah, for a while it was I don't. To try and I don't know how to equate equate it to like modern day. Uh, was it kind of like would you kind of say it's like the equivalent of like Game Changer maybe? I feel like Game Changer though has more storytelling to it than um, IWA Mid South did. I I would kind of maybe equate it to um, man, who's someone that's really scummy that's doing shows right now? <laughs> that's kind of. I mean, I feel like that's less of that. I feel like that's it, wrestling's kind of always scummy, but I feel there ha on the indie scene at least it's it's really kind of cut down. Yeah. Maybe well, I was gonna say CZW, but I don't I don't think C, CZW C, CZW is CZW though. Yeah. Well, CZW is another one that for a time actually had a lot of heat. Yeah. And Can you imagine. It, Can and now it's kind of like. A, promotion that started as an ECW knockoff has like lived through like three ECW lifetimes already. Yeah, it's still around. That's wild, isn't it? Well, do you remember they, um, because it happened in the 2000s, do you remember when they caused like a scene at an ECW pay-per-view and like the ECW guys like drug them like to the backstage area and like beat the shit out of them? Yeah. Yeah, and they're trying to start like a a feud or something. They're trying, yeah. Yeah, trying to start a, a promotional war, and instead, they kind of got the whole locker room kicking. I remember that because the um, 
the commentary cover up was Joey Styles saying that a fan had grabbed Francine at ringside or something like that, which is why the the guys were reacting so harshly to it. Um, but it, it, it like you said, it was the CZW guys there trying to trying to start some stuff up, <clears throat> and and they got. Yeah, they got. If I remember the story correctly, they got wrecked pretty bad uh, in the follow-up to that. And here we are, probably 19 years later, and CZW still around, and ECW has been well dead and buried. Yeah, even the WWE version. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. been dead and buried for a long time. Yeah. So well, I, I thought I thought an interesting thing to talk about would be because um, I think I think. Um, I know for me and probably a lot of fans, this was a decade of change because if you were a WCW or an ECW fan, you found yourselves very quickly without a promotion anymore and stuck with a WWE monopoly that you may or may not have been okay with and trying to kind of navigate the rest of the decade promotionless. Yeah, you were you definitely ended up as a man without a country, um, in that in that time frame because it's like, well, you know, what um, what am I supposed to do now, right? Because this was, I, I I get a little bit aggravated because there are some people that just um, romanticize the Attitude Era, and it's like, oh, it's the greatest thing ever, and I'm like, mm, no. It really wasn't. And people really, they have rose-colored glasses on about it. Because yeah. if you actually go back and look at it, like a lot of it's it was terrible. bad. Yeah. yeah. The matches are just awful. And um, so, uh, the well, the other, the, the biggest thing, okay, <clears throat> I'll, I'll put this out there, and I know we'll come back to it later. But the biggest thing that that really screwed up my perception of this decade whenever it comes to wrestling I, is is basically one word. And that's the the invasion. What should have oh, been... I thought you were going to say Benoit. No. That would be my answer. The Benoit was awful. Don't get me wrong. It, it was absolutely awful. But when... I, I'm looking at just from a, a strict business standpoint... What should have been the biggest angle of all time gets pissed away. Just I, I guess straight just due to to raw ego or whatever, like the opportunity to just make piles upon piles of money is 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 pissed away. Um, well, the problem with the invasion too, though, is it was a panic move because. The product started getting cold after WrestleMania 17. Yeah, because... And, like, the ratings started tanking because, remember, they did that. They came out. They turned Austin to heel. People really weren't feeling it. And then they were doing that two-man power trip, and then they they kind of buried the Hardys real quick, but then they did that... Um, they did the, the feud with Undertaker and Kane, and, like, it just tanked everything. Well, it, the the two man power trip thing was hot, but that it was. I still think it was a, turning Austin heel at that time was a mistake. It, that because then they kind of fixed things with Benoit and Jericho getting involved, and then Benoit like 
just like exploded his neck and was gone for a year. Yeah. Um, and like just this this storyline that had some of the the heat off of that uh, off of that match was just amazing. But then all the momentum died because trips went down in the course of that match, and then Voldemort went down later. I know. I don't even. I don't even. I'm not even a Harry Potter guy, but I. I just. I can't not do that joke. So I sorry. To, I have to say that there was like around this though. There was like this three week period where Austin was having these just off the chart amazing matches with Benoit on TV. Yeah, that's true. Um, we have a uh, we have a mutual friend who was at the uh, what was it ten German suplex match. He was there that night. So uh, yeah, I mean they were really just just I mean so engaging and watching on TV. You knew you were looking at something special. But for for me, that's. It, the yeah that's and we'll come back to the invasion later and I'm sure we'll we'll come back to Benoit later too but um, I just throwing that out there. Sorry, I rambled all over the damn place on that, guys. My apologies. So I think I think where I think where this decade gets a little forgotten for a lot of people is. And I think Matt's going to echo a lot of this. Like, if you were super into wrestling at the time, but weren't, like, a WWE fan, like, your your drug of choice was probably Ring of Honor or Pro Wrestling Noah. Mm. And um, especially with Noah, you kind of had to be there at the time because I don't think people quite get it in the hindsight, and that just ended so poorly with Mizawa um, dying. But I think that's where, like, if you were a super smart fan at the time, like, Ring of Honor and um, and Noah were it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when Masawa died, that kind of was the beginning of the end for that company. And I hated the green rings. <laughs> yeah, they were very distracting. But uh, Noah was pretty hot there for a good while. And, Three years, I think. Yeah, and it did die down a little bit, but it was still pretty, it was still pretty hot. Like they tried to make new stars. The problem, the problem with Noah too, it's getting kind of really like esoteric, I guess. But the problem, they um, they had Misawa, they had Kabashi, they had uh, Jun Akiyama as kind of like the the all Japan stars that were still big. Yeah, they had, uh, and they had like. And, they had Akira Tawe and yeah Vader yeah um, and they tried to make some new stars in Takeshi Rikio and Takeshi Morishima Morishima actually like had some he toured I don't know if you guys remember this he toured like in the United States for a bit he was with Ring of Honor he was the ROH champ for like eight yeah years, he was I, I actually saw they did in Ring of Honor uh, in like the the late two thousands like very late two thousands like early 2010s maybe uh, they they ran a few shows actually out of Manassas Virginia which is not that far outside of DC and one of those shows that he actually 
it was he headlined it. I think, God, I think he actually may have faced Nigel. Okay. Uh, but I'm I can't remember. It's been like it's been probably like a decade since that show. Uh, they had like Go Shiozaki and Noah, but again, like they, once once like Masawa died, it kind of like faded off. Even though they had. They still had like good. They had like good matches. They could have. I mean, they still. God. They had that. They had that Yakuza scandal, and that got them. I think. I don't know if that got them knocked off TV, but they lost their TV deal around that time, Hmm. and that kind of really. That really hurt them, and then, Kenta was kind of keeping them afloat. As their top star, and then. WWE obviously signed him away, and then they just didn't have anything. Yeah, I mean, Marufu- Naomichi Marafuji has been like a, a the main star there for a long time, or a big yeah, star he's, there. He's not really a draw, though. Mm. But I agree with you, like that their their inability to make new stars really hurt. And I think I know like Kabashi's big reign was a big deal at the time, but I think. There was that match, I think, in late 2005 or so when he beat Akiyama that that was the wrong decision in hindsight, and they probably should have had Akiyama, Akiyama go over. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting just to, to juxtapose like how Noah was really hot at that time, but how now, because nowadays New Japan is arguably like the best promotion in the world and has been for like a few years now and at least it's one of the best book ones and it was so it was like new japan was so bad oh in the early in the early aughts like they didn't really start getting good until the middle of the the decade and that's when you had the first reign by tanahashi and then you also saw uh shinsuke nakamura actually with the title belt a couple times yeah. Uh, and he did pretty well. Like that was kind of like him, his his coming of age too. But because goddamn Inoki, man, he they he, that's when his like fetish for shoot fighters really became a big deal. And then you had like yeah. Tadeo Yoshida like getting a run with the belt. Yeah, you had um, you just had all these like bland guys with like the kick pads and the gloves just yeah crapping up all the cards. I think wasn't I think it was always rumor like the rumor was that well I mean Anoki did love like mixed martial arts guys so like Yasuda so Yasuda got the today Yasuda got the belt because I think he like won one shoot match or something yeah and, something like that and impressed Anoki so much that he put the title belt on him even though he he was just not good he was terrible like and yeah. people didn't buy it I also heard like. I, the rumor was that he like owed money to the yakuza <laughs> or something for gambling debts. I think I've heard that. I've heard stories that the, and and I, they're no, I can't substantiate Jack Squad obviously, but that there had been a lot of uh, some Japanese promotions that were acting as like laundering fronts for the for the yakuza. Yeah. So if big if if any of that's true, then obviously that's. That's going to cause some issues. Yeah. That was just a weird period because he also put the title on Bob Sapp. Who... Oh, God, oh, yeah. So I remember because so 
So let's let's go let's take a way back machine before streaming was a thing. So, um, way back in the day, if you followed Japanese wrestling, you would get up in the morning and you would log on to um, oh fuck, what was the site's name like, Pereso Fan or or one of those sites, and you know you mm-hmm. you'd maybe get some pictures and see the results. It was Pereso Fan, yeah, that's a good yeah. call. And I remember um, I remember logging on that morning. And there's a picture of Bob Sapp with the IWGP title. I'm just like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> Don't hold back, man. How do you really feel? Oh, I was so... It just... New Japan was just such a mess. And then, like, they, they, you know, they had all these problems with, like, title belts. And then, you know, they put the belt on Tenzon and they keep, like, screwing that up. And Yeah, Tenzon's kind of that... He's just—he's a veteran now, but he's just—he's in that role where he's just there to kind of get to work with like the the young lions and get them over. But he, for a time period, he was really over in like the the middle in the two thousands. But they also they put the title again to continue like the whole shoot fighting thing. They put the title on Kaz Fujita for like two or three times, and he actually—I don't think I actually. I feel he's he got okay. a, he got a bum rap because he actually is like he's decent he he wasn't bad and he actually I mean he was he stuck around for a while so he was actually committed to being a pro wrestler yeah uh, but then I don't know if you remember there was the whole um, Inoki Genome Federation where they had Brock come in and and like win the IWGP title and then never defended it. Or maybe he defended, he defended it like defended, two or three times. He defended against Nakanishi because I remember that match was decent. Hmm. Because then they do, like, Lesnar and Angle and, like, his bastard promotion so that they could get, like, the actual IWGP physical belt back or something. Yeah. I'm... In fairness, like, there was... Like, Eugene Nagata did have, like, a good long run somewhere in that decade. I yeah. think around 2002 to 2003. Yeah, and they tried to, like, really push him as, like, the ace of the company. And it had, like, some success, but... Not a, a huge amount of success, just because they did a lot of damage. He did get a he did get a secondary run, like I think around two thousand and eight or so. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I like Nagata. He just doesn't have as he doesn't have the charisma of Tanahashi or Nakamura, no. or even like Mudo. Yeah. And then you know there is All Japan, which pretty much fell off a fell off a cliff. Yeah, you know. It, the sad thing is, like I've heard in the last few years that All Japan has actually gotten pretty good, but I just have not. I haven't seen anything from All Japan in like a long, long time. It's been a few years. It they have a streaming service now. I just don't have the ten dollars or the time to like invest in them. Oh yeah, I mean I don't have I don't have all this time to even look at the content that I already subscribed to. So, but I feel bad because I, I there's. There's a lot of there's actually workers there that I'd be curious to see. Like I've heard, uh, who is it? Is it Kento Miyahara? He's like their champion, but he he basically is kind of like a clone of Tanahashi because he grew up like worshiping Tanahashi. Essentially, Tanahashi's like his favorite wrestler, and so he's tried to emulate his career after Tanahashi, which it's like there's far worse people you can emulate their, your career on. There there was like a there was like about a. a an 18 month period where all Japan got better around 2005, 2006, where I enjoyed it, where 
uh, Kojima was the champion, and they brought in like all these like WWE castoffs and made them like a stable. Like you had like Jamal. Um, oh yeah. D'Lo Brown, like giant, <laughs> giant Bernard. I think. Um, giant Silva. No, I don't think he was there, but they they brought in like a like a bunch of like the releases and like that was kind of an interesting era. I think Taka Michinoku and, and Kaz Hayashi were involved with that mm-hmm. as well. But um, I thought that was interesting for like a brief time, but I don't think All Japan was particularly good at any point in that decade. And I never I never attached much to the 2000s stuff with them. Wasn't that we? I feel like we talked about this. On, but that wasn't that like the whole Voodoo Murders stable. Yeah, that was Giant Bernard. Yeah, the Voodoo Murders stable. If you actually look it up, like on YouTube, it was like gigantic because they just kept bringing people in. And the leader of that was like Taru, and I, Taru, I think he was like banned from the promotion for a while because he legit like beat the shit out of someone, beat the shit out of someone, like put him in a coma. Ooh. I think he like ended some dude's career. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. No yeah. Kazuharai, he like ended the dude's career. He he literally beat him to the point where the kid got well kid, I don't know how old he is. He's like older. He's not a kid, but he he beat him into the point where he had a like a subdural hematoma. Oh gosh. Well there was always rumors. It's like this is really getting like into the weeds. There were rumors yeah. that Taru was like involved with or somehow associated with like legit yakuza people so he was kind of like a bad dude there's a weird thing there's um there is a weird though i don't know what it is about the way japan works because sumo really had a scandal i think around this same decade where like a teacher beat one of his students to death and that seems to be like this weird (laughs) issue that comes up time and time again with like the way they dojo in Japan or something, it's really weird. But that seems to be like a scandal that happens. Far more than you would think it would. Yeah. Because isn't there something with Hiroshi Hase where like he's really like haunted by something like that happening in a dojo setting? Hiroshi Hase? Yeah, sorry, I always fuck his name up. Yeah, it's Hiroshi hard. Hase. I, I, you, pulled uh, a real, you pulled a real shad on that name there, Brad. Yeah, sorry. I, I, <laughs> it, it was right in my head, and then it came out wrong. I, I'm Look, I, I, the only way I even know how to pronounce any of these names is because I've actually heard it, like someone else say it. Yeah. I, um, I thought I could – I'm probably slightly misremembering this, but he was – he was like the uh, – I think he was like the trainer in the dojo – for um for new japan and it was some young lion or something that was practicing with i actually believe it was like great kali and i thought that that happened i thought that happened in california maybe i thought this was like the same one where it's it's like great kali worked with them and the kid got like a concussion but he developed like a, a subdural hematoma or something like that and ultimately died, but they didn't, in fairness, it was like, they didn't really realize how injured he was at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I thought the Great Kali thing happened in um, in um, Beyond the Mat Guys promotion. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I thought that that's where that that happened. Roland Alexander is that his yeah, name? Yeah, I know the Roland is part. The Roland part is right. The Alexander part might not be, but yeah, that's where I thought it had happened. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm way less plugged in on this stuff than you guys are, but um, that's that's honestly whenever. Great Kali has been on my TV. That's why I've always looked at him a little bit sideways. It's been like, okay, because I always heard conflicting stories of how that happened. You know, there, there was I think, no I'm, yeah, I think I'm mixing stories up. Okay, yeah, because there's there's been a lot of dojo incidents um, over the years enough that you could confuse them. Not well, like it's not like an epidemic, but there's been like five or six, I think. Well, and then there's also even I unversed as i am have heard stories of like some really really jacked up hazing procedures happening in a lot of dojos um so it, i it is it, it might just be a case where like there was a string of these things that came to light because a bunch of these happened to get severe all at the same point but there's been some like really rough dojo stories happening or something. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess, I guess we've had, I guess, I guess there's been the bad hazings that have happened here. I guess it's just more localized that we hear about it with wrestling. So, yeah, well, or it's maybe more, not but, as much, but it, they're first of all, not fatal or second, like they seem way further in the past. Well, I think here too, the difference is the really fatal stuff tends to be sorority and fraternity shit more than athletes. Uh, and it's usually alcohol related. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, it's, it's still a, you know, I'm in a, uh, just thinking of if, if the stories I've heard of what happened with like, what some of the young guys were forced to do in dojos. I mean, that, that's first of all, good God. And then well, second, like, um, um, jars in the fridge. Scrub- oh no, I was talking about like scrubbing naked, uh, giant Baba's back or something. Uh, as disturbing as that could be, the stuff I've heard was, was worse, but, um, oh, I don't know anything about that. Uh, I only then, know. Well, I, th- I I think it I was only know that and how Johnny w. Ace got his uh, got his job over there <laughs> by being Mrs. Baba's favorite. Yes. Mm. Mhm. She likes them blonde. Yeah. Uh, no, it, I'll, I'll tell you guys off the air because this is this is gross enough. I really don't want to put it on tape. Yeah. I don't want my vo- I don't want my voice saying some of this crap on on recorded audio. So, um, but it. I don't know. It, it, it like you hear stories about about um, you know new guys getting hazed in the states, and it's usually like you know you know you you run them till you puke, or the there's there's some guys who are like, oh yeah, you want to be a wrestler, huh? You think you're going to be a tough guy, and then I mean they just just drub the hell out of them. Or if you like, if you believe Hogan's story um, about what. Uh, Oh God! Now I'm gonna. Hiro Matsuda. Yeah, about what Matsuda did to him, you know, stuff like that. But those, those, either they don't get out enough, 
or they seem to be old enough that that sort of thing's not uh, not not commonplace. Maybe like I didn't come across that. The stuff I came across was you know it's like don't you know don't don't disrespect someone in the ring or they're going to stick you in the corner and just chop the living piss out of you. And well, then there's you want stuff to cry like, about um, it. There's stuff back in the seventies. Some of that shit's yeah. really really that, vile. Like, because they talked about um, was it Greg? Was it Greg Valentine? That no, it probably wasn't him because he was in on it. it Might have been Flair or someone that said like, I think like Vern Gagne like training. They wouldn't even like smarten you up until like you were gonna go out there for your first match. I which. God, that that sounds like so stupid to me. But I never ran a promotion, so I guess who am I to say? That's just dumb, though. Like, how are you supposed to properly train someone to do? I don't know. I think they put guys in a lot quicker back in the day, though. Maybe, but we're. I'm I'm sorry. I've kind of pulled this. I think I think like Piper. I think Piper basically had minimal training for his first couple matches yeah yeah that's i i think i remember a story like that but i'm sorry i pulled this like way the hell off the point yeah going back to japan the the other thing um about this decade and it was a a promotion i enjoyed for a while uh dragon's gate came about in this oh yeah decade and that was so shad i know you probably haven't seen it it's kind of it's kind of lucha meets pereso like I know Dragon's Gate is out there and I've read some about it. Like I'm not completely in the weeds on it, but uh I don't know a whole lot about it. You would recognize some of the faces cuz a lot of them like Dragon Kid did like some WCW appearances. Um Tokyo Magnum was there before I retired. Oh wow. Um a lot of those Shima, guys Shima. Yeah, Shima did some WCW stuff. It so. came it it basically um, it stemmed from Ultima Dragons uh, Toramon, yeah, and it became Dragon Gate. And Dragon Gate still does shows; they're they're mm-hmm. still a thing. Uh, there are some really great workers who came out of that, like Akira Tozawa, who's in the WWE right now. He was part of it. Um, who else? Uh, well, he's not good, but he's hilarious. <laughs> Stalker Ichikawa Z. Oh yeah, he's like a comedy gimmick. And um, what I love about him is is he did a match with uh, Amazing Kong once, uh, and uh, the match is pretty much he did this like Legends challenge, so like they would bring in like big names to wrestle him, and like there's one where he wrestles um, Jun Akiyama, and he like chops him, and he gets tired, and then he goes to like give him an exploder suplex and Akiyama just stands up and he like falls on his head. <laughs> but so the, the, the amazing Kong match, and you can see this on YouTube is he chops her a bunch of times and it's not getting anything. So he just feels her up and she <clears throat> lariats him and pins him in like five seconds. <laughs> okay. One of the, um, one of the best workers or one of my favorite workers from that promotion was, um, Masato Yoshino. Oh yeah. He- who, He's a, I mean, he he would m- absolutely be like a, a junior heavyweight or a cruiserweight in the United States, but he was a great worker. He's he's a great worker. Like, yeah, I think he still wrestles. Um, but I think his nickname was Speed Metal. 
and Chad, if you if you ever saw any of his work, like you would uh-huh. be stunned. Like he he literally would be lightning fast. Yeah. He would run the ropes, and he, like you could barely track like how fast he was going. And then he'd like hit a dude with like a drop kick or a lariat or something like that. And he's not like uh-huh. a huge dude, right? But it was just so impressive. I mean, you don't if if your gimmick's good and you work into it, you don't have to do super impressive stuff. Like you said, just uh, apparently just having the speed could work. Yeah. So I totally believe it. And it's also uh, Dragon's Gate is interesting because it's it's a little different than what you would think of as a promotion. It's a stables war promotion. Okay. So it's about it's about teams of guys and like their feuds with each other and guys turning on their teams and like joining new teams. So it's um it's an interesting concept and I think the stable idea really keeps it fresher in some ways. That's kind of that I could see how that that you could work a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah. Now let's uh let's bring this back to the United States cuz I do want to talk about I think my favorite my favorite gimmick from the from the decade and that is LAX, the original LAX in TNA. Oh yeah. Like when they had their own announcer and their own entrance. Let me see. I want to look something up here. Go ahead though. I'm sorry. I'm... And just I I feel like that was one of the few things that TNA managed to not screw up other than like Awesome Kong. You know, the TNA Knockouts division was pretty pretty damn good. Um, they actually set a blueprint for kind of women's wrestling before the WWE did. Yeah. You could make the argument that the WWE kind of stole a lot from them. They because, stole a lot from them and Shimmer. Yeah, because they were... They actually had good work... Um, and the women actually got really over to the point yeah. where they were they the highest were, rated segments for like a year. Yeah, yeah, and and much like how women's wrestling is presented now, like it was presented as like legitimate. It wasn't just you know here's a here's two models that we gave the most minimal training to, and yeah. they're gonna they're gonna like roll around on the mat for like three minute three minutes. Like as, that's basically how WWE women's matches were like in the the yeah. aughts. Yep, and you know who booked all that? What was it? Um, our boy, uh, Dirty Dutch Mantel. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was the booker for it. You're referring to the the TNA stuff, not the uh, the WWE stuff, right? Right. Okay. But like, um, just wanted to, just wanted to to make sure that was all clear. It's one thing that kind of pissed me off with the WWE and this and all the back padding they did about their women's revolution. It's like, oh yeah, oh good, you guys want credit for being a decade behind the curve. You guys want to, you want credit for being a decade behind a smaller competitor. And, uh, and a promotion built entirely on women's wrestling. Yeah, that you stole most of your talent from. Right. See, okay, here, here's here's the thing where, like, I knew that Shimmer existed, right? I knew that they were doing a lot of stuff and, and, and that sort of thing. In the limited access I had at the time, they didn't end up on my radar. And it's not because, you know, good wrestling is good wrestling. It's just that that didn't come up for me, so... I found out Shimmer about a lot of very, Shimmer stuff later on. Shimmer's had a very well. We can, we could 
I could do a whole thing about how backward Shimmer's distribution is and how you can't get any of the recent shows because they've they stuck to a DVD format for too long. Mm-hmm. And then they embraced streaming, but they don't get their shows up quick. So yeah, but um, yeah, Shimmer's just never had a good distribution model. That's a and that's a shame. That's a that's really a shame. Um, I also just for for kicks that we could we could hit on this later, but 2002 is whenever we had the early formation of NWA TNA. So um, that was. <laughs> Yeah, who at the time no one predicted would last longer than like three months, six months at most, and here we are, um, almost twenty years later, like it, eighteen years later. It, it, it's funny. There, it was like a running joke on so many different message boards I went to about people saying there was always someone spouting off as you know, proclaiming themselves an expert, saying, "Oh no, oh no, they're going to be gone. Three months, six months tops." Six months, and that—that's all they've got. They, you know, they're not going to last beyond that. And yet, they're still going over and over how again. They made it for all. Like they—they they actually. There was a brief time around 2007 and 2008 where they actually did make some money. Yeah. When they first started doing house shows, but then, like, it was actually good. Like when they first came to Spike, it was actually a good product, and then they like freaked out. Well, it, it brought Vince Russo back, and it immediately yeah. like went to oh, it, went to crap. Yeah, it went to hell in a handbasket quick. Well, and the other thing, um, I can't. Okay, I can't remember who it was, but at some point in in TNA history, I, it might have been whenever um, they were going they were going to Spike. They were like, "Look, yeah, we want to bring you guys on, but." Um, Vince Russo can't work for your company. We don't want him. We don't want anything. We don't want that guy to have anything to do with, you know, our television. And they were, like, paying him under the table and, and having him, like, write stuff for him. Oh, no, that's what got them thrown off of Spike. Okay, that's what I thought. Like, Spike actually wanted to... Spike TV actually wanted to buy in, like, around that time. Yeah. And Dixie freaked out because... She would have lost control. Yeah, so... Like, they actually had a TV network that wanted to buy in. They could have been... They could have been way more established. They'd be on Paramount, and they'd be on that, um... Probably on that, what is that, Danzen? What's that thing that Bellator's on? DAZN? I think it's DAZN. Yeah, whatever that is. (laughs) They probably would have been on that, like, is a... Like their pay-per-views probably would have been on that. So is are you saying that she she sabotaged that so it wouldn't happen, or did she just panic? No, that... she she pretty much spent like the the last eight years that she was there, like sabotaging anyone that was trying to wrest power from her. Well, yeah, but I mean, with the uh, with the spike thing, like it's actually impressive to a degree that she actually outcarnied. Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff, like that's the, um... true. That's very true. Because remember, she scre- she she even stabbed uh, Corgan in the back. Yeah, she totally did that. After basically he he totally bailed them out. Yep. 
God. Okay. Sorry, I I I I'd finally run that down, and then I wanted to bring it up, and then I realized that I'm totally derailing you guys' convert your your, your stream. So I apologize. No, it's interesting. It's interesting to talk about their missteps of like until Anthem bought them, and somehow like they they figured it out. Something straightened up, right? Getting off that panda money. Well, I guess I guess global had them for a while too until Jarrett like that's had his had his alcohol problems yeah uh, I'm still not entirely sure what happened with global force but that's that's another thing for another day yeah I don't know either okay. honestly it just seemed like that was going to be a, that was going to be a push at the next big thing and then it is gone well, there was this time, like, because Impact kind of, Impact, well, TNA kind of just managed to last long enough to get on, like, because remember they were on Fox Sports for a while, and then they they kind of proved they had a following, and then got on Spike a, a year or so later. Yeah. They and, um, managed to limp their way into TV deals. And that's really... They were the only company really able to do that, other than Ring of Honor getting like a syndicated deal. But you know what AEW did is really kind of astonishing. Like when you look at the struggles of like promotions in the 2000s, because no one was getting TV deals. No, nobody was. Well, I I, I could I could guess that part of that has to do with the fact of someone in, in those meetings would be going. Why would we want to compete with with WWE? No one can compete with them. They have a monopoly on it. And so there's this popular perception that no one could compete with it while there are, there are people wandering around looking desperately for an alternative that was easily accessible. I actually disagree with that. I think the problem is, is that WWE was such low-grade trash in the Attitude Era. They kind of scorched earth. That is a everything. very good point. That's a super good point. Because it took, I think, I mean, I would say it took until the last five years and like the nerd culture boom for wrestling to finally kind of shed that 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 Jerry Springer. Yeah, that trashy feel. Yeah, because yeah, there just been there was just kind of for a long time there was just kind of a sneer associated with. Uh, yeah, you're right. Post attitude era, there's just kind of a sneer associated. It's like, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that stuff. So do do we kind of want to get into like the ruthless aggression era? <laughs> we can. Well, I, I want to. One thing. <laughs> ruthless aggression. Yeah. God. What, what is like? What is like the years of the ruthless aggression? Is that like 2004 to like 2012? Hang on. Before we do that, I, I want to touch one thing before we go there. Um, the, well, we, we touched on Ring of Honor. For me, that was like, even if I couldn't get my hands on it, I would have some friends that would like take pity on me and send me stuff now and again. And so I have uh, like, maybe I still have it on an old hard drive somewhere, but like the, the best of three series, um, Punk v. Joe, like I, I ended up getting, getting people to send me a bunch of Joe stuff. Uh, shocker, I know. Um, 
and and just everything that kind of built out of that and came from it um you know to watch that and i remember from the the big defining memory at least for me was that there was a um they did this really good um like promo video that had uh Colt Cabana standing on like a New York street corner or something they're like Ring of Honor here it is and like Colt's being the the hype man for it and they're talking about Ring of Honor being featured in Entertainment Weekly and stuff like that and then they went through and they did a promo I think this was 0506 they went through and they did these promo spots all in a row of everybody who was working there and if I remember it, it you know Loki was in it Homicide Joe, um, Nigel, uh, Jimmy Rave, AJ, um, uh, BJ Whitmer, and um, did he team with Roderick Strong? No, he teamed. Well, he probably had a couple partners. Like he and Dan Math teamed for a while when they were in the front of Daniels. And then um, his big. His big team that had like the them turn on each other and have a big cage match was um, Jimmy Jacobs. Okay, uh, Roderick Strong was in there. Christopher Daniels was in there. Like they they went like they did a really good job marketing all of those guys and making them look like a big deal and being real interesting. And that's why I, I bought the like the very first Ring of Honor show on DVD at like a Sam Goody or something. <laughs> Well, they had um, Eddie worked two shows for them. Yeah, maybe three. He did. There was that brief period where he was released, um, really for substance abuse issues. I think that was his. Uh, that like was a wellness violation or something. Well, yeah, that went to back to Eddie's. Um, basically, his his opiate addiction after his car wreck that just about cut him in half. Yeah, uh, but he that was his redemption tour. Mm-hmm. Is they cut him. <laughs> And then he went out and he did all this crazy good work on the indies in this time frame. And like Ring of Honor was, I think, the biggest place that he went to go work for in order to prove, no, 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 I've still got it. I've got it together. I'm showing you that I'm, I'm, I'm still worth it. Because, you know, he absolutely was. But um, that was that was a big – that of, of good stories of that decade, Eddie's redemption arc is a huge one. But he wrestled. He wrestled um, the SAT with Red, and then I think he wrestled Super Crazy on like the first show. Yes, I believe that's right. That sounds right, anyway. But we got to you know, it. Um, so that that was that was like a big standout for me in this time frame and and like if if you were to if someone were to ask me in you know WWE alternative I'd tell them Ring of Honor. Uh, I don't know. There, there's too much just difficulty in obtaining and too much of a culture gap for me to get my hands on on Japanese stuff. It seemed like, but anyway. Well, I mean, you had to. The Japanese stuff was hard because you had to. You had to find someone that had good quality, a good price, and then you had to wait for those VHS tapes to show up in the mail. Yeah. And really, I mean, it probably took – sometimes it might take four or five months until 
a show that happened was available here. Yeah. It was more like three months. I, I, would you say three months, Matt? Yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah. But then, you know, Ring of Honor had the whole um, Rob Feinstein on oh my um, God. Perverted Justice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember when that broke. Holy hell. So, anyway, you Ruthless Aggression Era. From what I'm looking at, that seemed to be from about... Um, like the the first brand split era, like O two to like twenty ten, twenty eleven or so. Okay. So that's it. God, that was a weird time period. It was. Um. It because they really didn't know what they were doing, and Triple H would attach himself to anything that got remotely hot, and he ruined like fun little angles like Eugene and oh know. god I forgot about that yeah it okay I'll I'll admit something the uh, the Eugene thing that was that was uh, I mean Nick's Nick Dinsmore's gamble to get on TV right like to his character was the brother from uh, there's something about Mary that was his his long shot which is so weird that a guy as talented as him has to you know has to go to that gimmick right and yet, there was something that was just kind of heartwarming about how he did the gimmick. Well, I liked how when he was having that feud with Coach and, like, Kate and Murdoch, they kept thinking they had him, and then someone would come out and save him. Like, they had that tag match where um, Coach and Kate had him cornered, and they're like, you don't have a partner, and then, like, Benoit's music hits. And then they're just like, oh, shit, we fucked up. <laughs> they were, the one thing that they did in this era is they were good about having, like, bully heels catch comeuppance kind of regularly. Yeah. That that's that drifts around in the back of my head is you'd have someone doing something like that, and then, then this kind of crap would happen. And they'd be like, oh, oh, God, no. Because this had the era where, where Flair, like, assumed... That was, like, right after the invasion, I think. But, no, maybe right before it. Like, assumed partial ownership. Am I... I'm remembering this wrong, aren't I? No, that is that... It, no, that, that... Yeah, it was post-invasion. That was, like, right after. Yeah, that was, like, the night after. Yeah. But they, they, they did not hesitate to have... You know, with the exception of Triple H, other heels would, would show their ass. You know... Uh, a decent amount of the time, so not Triple H though. No, no. no. Triple H. Is he effing going over? Yeah, that was the. But um, the the I liked the the brand split era, that first brand split era, because it got. We were fortunate enough to have show splits where it was like, "Hey, are you a are you a work rate guy? SmackDown is your thing, man. Hey, are you a I don't know if you just prefer to watch wrestling on Monday, then then here's Raw. You know, it's and I'm not being fair, but that's how it felt to me. Well, I liked when I like when they split off into ECW and you suddenly got these like mid carters getting like absurd amounts of TV time. Like one of my favorite acts from the decade of the 2000s that most people probably didn't even see was 
Mark Henry doing the world's strongest champion <clears throat> with Tony Atlas as his manager. Mm, I barely feuding remember that. Matt, feuding with Matt Hardy. Like, it was awesome. It was a reason to watch ECW every week. Yeah, I won't lie to you. Like, the, I watched... I forget a lot of this decade, to be honest with you. I, I kind of vaguely remember that one. Or like... um. Matt Seidel's, like, run in the WWE. Mm-hmm. I do remember Seidel being there because he had – he was the first person to – it felt like – I caveat there. It felt like he was the first person on, uh, you know, wide distribution TV post-Kidman to do a shooting star press that looked good. Because, look, I like Billy Kidman. But his shooting star press always looked awful. And it, yeah, I mean, it hurt some people, too. So then you had, you had. Well, he hurt himself that one time on SmackDown where he, like, did it and totally, like, ate shit on the ropes. Yeah, because he didn't get, he didn't get enough uh, forward motion. He just kind of. like, yeah, Kidman always looked like a dead elk shot out of a catapult (laughs) when he did his shooting star press. (laughs) That's a, that's an oddly descriptive phrase. Yeah. Um, well, it it worked. Let to be fair, it worked as uh, a member of the flock. Like it it worked for that, but it he just always kept doing it that way, and I was just like, oh god, this well, is. Well, the problem is in, in WCW, he was over enough that he he stopped doing it. He started doing that um, kind of that variation of the unprettier. He did. He did the, at the end. Then, yeah. And then WWE made him start fucking doing it again. And well, because just like he was coming in, he couldn't be using somebody else's move. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it, it you you had Bourne show up and do that, and it was really catchy and really impressive to watch. So you know that was nice, and he had a he had a team with a run with Kofi for a while. Because they were uh, Air Boom, I think. Yeah, I think that's so. no Air Boom. Air no, it was Air Boom, I think. Yeah, because he would boom, boom, boom before he did his double leg drop. I think. Yeah. I think. God, so. the 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 desperate scrambling to try and find a catchphrase that'll catch on is just. I, I remember from Cena's early run when he was doing like the early rapper gimmick was, he was. He was teaming with Bull Buchanan. I think it was Bling Bling Buchanan. Yes, you are right. It was Bling Bling Buchanan. I remember the SmackDown, because the only reason that took off is that he dressed up as Vanilla Ice at that one uh, Halloween SmackDown. And I, okay, I'm not naive enough to think that it was like they really just let something unscripted like that happen. But it felt like whenever they panned to him, they're like, oh, you're Vanilla Ice. What, do you think you can rap or something? And he just, like, started going on it. That seemed like a, like a whoa, did this just happen kind of moment. Because um, you remember, this was the era when Cena first debuted, and he came out in his, like, powder blue and white mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to challenge Kurt Angle. And then we got that call back in the Firefly Funhouse. What makes you think you can challenge Kurt Angle? Ruthless aggression. And it's, it's like, okay, pushing the catchphrase a little hard there, guys. 
Well, I remember seeing a, um, he was on that Discovery Channel documentary. Yeah, yeah, like he was. His signing was. Yeah, you're right. Um, what was that called? I don't know. I could find it on, I could probably find it on, um, you could probably find it on YouTube just by looking at Discovery Channel, uh, wrestling the prototype. Yeah. Cause I remember, I can, I can see the promo he did in my, in my mind right now, but I cannot remember what that was called. But yeah, um, he seen as an interesting case because he's really the last star they built. Yeah, that actually got like mega over. Yeah, yeah, that's true because they've tried it with Roman, but it hasn't. It both has taken and hasn't because yeah, he, it, if you actually based on like merch sales and to the extent that kids are, are kind of into a, a WWE worker. Yeah. Um, and who kind of has some, some crossover appeal or it's, it actually is Roman, but he's nowhere near the level uh, that Cena was. And Cena was, I'm a fan of Cena, but um, Cena wasn't as big as rock or Austin. No, he was big. I would say he was probably a little bigger than like Hart and Michaels, though. When they uh, were. Yeah, I would say yeah that he was definitely bigger and more over as a star than either of them were in like the nineties. How much of that is well? I, I I'm I'm not going to be fair in the way I say this, but would how much of that do you think would fall to the idea of? Um, him being, uh, you know, just just the the atmosphere around him, like there's not, not really any competition for it. I would say he benefits because he can go on Saturday Night Live and be good. Okay, that's fair. Uh, yeah, good luck doing that with Shawn Michaels in that time period, right? Yeah. I mean, Cena does have, in fairness to him, he does have actually charisma, and he actually has good comedic timing. Yeah. He was great when he. Um, or he really showed a lot of potential as his guest appearance on Psych. I never saw that. I didn't either. Oh, uh, that's a that's a solid show for like all but the last season. Okay. I remember that the thing that I hold is the like this is the big um like this is the big uh way I know that Cena's got like more chops than than you might think was his uh just Lance Catamaran. Yes, that was great. It cracked he, the hell up. I, I was doing sitting there talking, right? Sorry, man. I, no, I'm, I absolutely love the Southpaw wrestling, and I wish they would do more of that. I, if they're... Well, they wouldn't put it on Raw, but I mean, if you, if you can't do like live shows... Uh, because of you know the coronavirus, then I would love for them to just kind of get. If they're going to be filming stuff, then do some stuff with. Uh, <laughs> do more Southpaw in some fashion. You can do. Yeah. You can green screen a lot of that crap. Yeah, the not the not Ric Flair Ric Flair impersonator. Mm. <laughs> and it's actually Ric Flair. Yeah. It's like try the woo chicken like woo mashed potatoes. <laughs> See that's that's 
part of the reason that I I'm, was surprised that they they well like getting rid of Anderson and Gallows it's like you know like those guys were were just I mean huge for doing that kind of silly stuff and they made it work really well. Ah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, not gonna keep funny people around, I guess. But um, what I was saying is the the Lance Catamaran bit. It, all that is is just Cena sitting there talking, being awkward, right? Like he's not. He's kind of doing. He's kind of doing like a a more subtle Ron Burgundy. Right. But he's just kind of sitting there being awkward, and then he'd reference like his one job as a as an anchor in Utica. And that, I mean, it, it cracked me up. So it, it's like, I look at that and I'm like, I know, I know Cena's got chops. He can be funny. I'm sorry, Brad, go ahead. Oh no, I, I, I was going to let you finish. I, I, I didn't mean to. No, no, no. It's I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, um, and his co-host always kind of passed out next to him. <laughs> Just laying there, never really doing anything. Like, okay, we know, like that the Jericho was capable of of doing that sort of stuff, because you know we remember the conspiracy victim angle and that sort of thing. But Cena had a legion. Of rabid haters that you know didn't seem to want to give credit that he could do anything well. You know what though the the Cena hater thing though is there is also there is a level of pantomime to that though because if you would catch them by surprise with like a surprise Cena return or or like appearance to make a save or something he'd always get a massive pop if people weren't expecting him. Mm. That's like fair. if you want to if you want to go back like when he came back from his like first injury like six months early and surprised everyone as the last rumble entrance like Madison Square Garden like almost rioted yeah that's true um or when he came out to save the Rock against the Wyatt family like he wasn't getting booed then no he wasn't you're right he and was I mean, not. <clears throat> It was a nostalgia callback, but he also got a huge reaction for the Thugonomics return mm-hmm. at Mania. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. But he also, I mean, I mean, let's be honest, though, Cena did kind of, once once it kind of was established, he had a good humor about it, and he kind of encouraged it, too. Well, he knew he couldn't ignore it. So he just he he would like wink and nod to it because what else can you do, right? And he's at least he's at least like smart enough and like has enough like self-deprecation as a human being to make it work. Unlike Seth Rollins, yeah, it's it's like Rollins can't stand to to have anybody get anything over on him. But I don't think Cena would have been able to flourish the way he did without that brand split. Like it, it was, it was a pretty bloated roster at that point, and so with well, no, because Triple H would have gobbled him up, yeah, the second he was getting getting hot. over, yeah. Instead of having someone like Kurt Angle, who was willing to work with and put him over, because they they called that back a few times. Well, remember he got um, he got that really early title shot against Lesnar. 
Yeah. Um, is a heel. And that's a really bizarre one. It's like face Lesnar versus heel John Cena, like, around... What was that? Was that, like... Um, I think it was like May of 2003, 2004 maybe. Yeah, and the whole the whole thing was just built on the fact cuz I don't know if Lesnar was out or hurt or just not answering, but every week Cena would run his mouth. And the they it it just went from oh this dude's talking trash thinking he can get over on Lesnar to like they were going to have a like a full bore like full placard tail of the tape fighter card uh match on SmackDown one night. And it seemed like a big deal. I bet it was. I bet it was after. I bet that was after the mania where Lesnar fell on his head doing the shooting star press. Probably so that might explain it. I don't know how close it was to it, but probably. Well, I, I forget. Like Brock Lesnar's first run is really condensed into like a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I still wonder what happened from a guy who did that shooting star press so much because everybody it seemed like I should rephrase it seemed like everybody knew that Brock was going to shooting star press at the Mania match right like everybody was like oh yeah we'll be seeing that shooting star press in this match but when he under rotated and crashed like that. Everyone's just kind of like, oh, and then he just does an F5, gets the belt, and then sits in the corner with a day's look on his face because he concussed the hell out of himself. Well, aren't, aren't WWE rings, like, really screwy compared to, like, a normal wrestling ring? Like, they're bigger, they don't, they use different types of ropes than... They use ropes instead of cables. I don't, I guess it's just for aesthetics, but that means you have to replace them a lot more often. Uh, their ring is bigger, and it's a lot bigger. Yeah, isn't it? like, it's 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 like two feet bigger on each side. It's like, isn't it like twenty by twenty instead of like sixteen by six, like something like stupidly bizarre like that? Something like that. Um, I worked with a guy who had a tryout with him, and he's telling me about it. It's like you're running and you go to hit the ropes, and you ain't at the ropes yet, and so you're just trying to keep running because you know you're going to hit him eventually. Because weren't they weren't they back in the day like notorious for having like hard boxing rings? They the the original ring was like cause this is in um, one of the Foley books. The original rings were really hard, and that's what uh, that's what Foley took the dump on for that Hell in a Cell. Was that crazy hard ass ring? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they didn't have give because. Uh, I think the rumor was is like you know if it's got any give to it, then everyone's going to look at it and be like, oh this you know look at look at that ring it's of course it's fake, and instead it's it, you know it's, it was really really solid, which God screw bumping on that, um, but then you had uh, then. And Foley doesn't attribute this to himself, but he says after that match, they changed the ring. So it was like way more springy. It was like being on a trampoline more, which was actually harder on his knees. uh, Because, you know, he's always trying to to adjust for that, uh, adjust for that spring and it was killing him. So um, have have either of you been to his live show? 
No, you recommended it to me, but I haven't gotten <laughs> to go. No, I've not been. He he talks about that and like what was going on. He said it when he came to after he went through the top of the cage because he said that was the worst part. And he was like legit knocked out. He said he came to and the first thing he saw was just Terry Funk shoes with no Terry Funk in them and being really confused by it. <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, and God, God bless Terry for buying time like that you know I think Cornette too has talked about WWE rings because I think he's talked about when he worked there like he that he had gotten a big fight with them because he wanted to like get better rings I know he got in a fight with them uh, when he was running Ohio Valley because they treated him like a subsidiary when they didn't own him. He just worked with them, and so they sent. They would send him like ropes, and he's like, "We don't use ropes. We use cables, so we don't have to replace them all the time." I'm like, well, we'll send you extra. He goes, "I don't want to use them." Well, we really want you to. I said, "I don't want to use them," and then like John Laurinaitis would threaten the the contract or something, so he'd be like, "Fine," and that's how Mark Henry got hurt: is the ropes rope snap and and dumped him on his shoulder or something. There's a, there was a time in the 2000s where OVW was considered probably like the best booked promotion and the biggest drawing indie promotion in the United States. Yes, it was. Which one? I'm sorry. Oh, how about OVW? Yeah, it was for a while. Because there was they, they used to do those Six Flags shows, and I think those drew like thousands, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And uh, on those Six Flags shows, they would, since they had the working relationship, they would get like big WWE stars to come in and when uh, they had Batista as the Leviathan um, who came out of like his debut was I think the Disciples of Sin like conjured him out of the Ohio River yep um, yeah Sin who was the did manager did you get the TV shed no uh, I, I didn't that was the that was the damnedest thing I was less than like an hour and a half away from Louisville, but I didn't have access to the TV. I, I that drove me crazy. I tried to figure it out for years. Wow, they didn't. You would think that they would. They, you would think they would at least put it in there. Because I mean, I bet if you had the TV, you would have driven to a couple of shows. Yeah. Well, okay. To be fair, part of that time period is when I was in college, and and the TV that we had is the TV that they gave us, and then the other part of that was. I didn't have like at, right after um, right after I finished grad school. I didn't have like TV at all. Like that was that was not in the cards. Um, having having uh, any kind of TV was not in the cards for me at that point. So, but you would have figured if because I did go check. I went looking. I'm like, I wonder if I can get OVW because I heard about it and I wanted to you know I wanted to see it, but I couldn't get my hands on it, like nowhere. And and they had like the really big, um, like it was described as the uh, the TV station radio that would knock birds out of the sky. So how in the hell did I not get it just south of Lexington? I have no idea. That's crazy. Yeah, I agree with that. He, um, there's actually a series Cornette does on his podcast where he deep dives OVW, and it's it's very interesting because you know he um he keeps pretty extensive records so you get a real 
look into the results and what he was doing at the time. Yeah. But my favorite story from that is I guess they had Mark Henry because he was losing weight and rehabbing. Yeah. So he said that they were doing this thing where he was, like, bending this, like, steel pipe or something. Yeah. And then they'd, uh, they'd have someone from the crowd, like, come in and try and do it. And Cornette's like, well, what do you know? Like, one of those raw-boned hillbilly fucks came in and, like, <laughs> bent that pipe right up. <laughs> That's the problem. You always got to be real careful about who you call up for that stuff. Well, that's what they, um, when, when Andy Kaufman was in Memphis, he wanted to do a shoot, and Jerry Jarrett's like, he's like, dude, are you sure? Like, there's some women out here that'll fuck you up. <laughs> you get a good old Southern gal on a kick, and she'll she'll light you up good. Yeah. Oh. Well, there was one, uh, they, I think her name was Foxy, like, gave him, like, some legitimate issues like when because he did it shoot and he won but like she gave him well and then they brought her back like yeah, she quote unquote trained with lawler and uh they brought her back and the stipulation was that if she won then kaufman had to marry her or something like that yeah but yeah that's that's what that was Jarrett's reaction it was like uh are you sure you want to do that because uh i would not screw with some of these yeah people yeah um uh... You, I would have figured it, that Corny would have been like, you know, I know you can do it, Mark, but I ain't taking the chance that 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 somebody out here might be able to pull it off too. But anyway, uh, I know Ohio Valley. They had um, they had seen. No, they didn't have Cena there because Cena was in California. No, they had Cena. They did. They had him there as the prototype. Okay, I thought he was doing that in California. My bad. Uh, no, they they kept him as the prototype. He became John Cena when he went up to the main roster. He was there. I don't remember the exact time, but he did have crossover with like Randy Orton and some of those guys. Yeah, uh, Orton was there, and um, the Leviathan that was Batista. Yeah, and Lesnar and Benjamin were Shelton Benjamin were there. Uh, Rico Constantino was there. Yeah. Um, Lesnar and Benjamin were the Minnesota stretching crew, and I swear there are names I'm forgetting in this time. Charlie Haas was there. His brother was with him for a while, but that um, yeah, that 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 just makes me sad. Um, the God. I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to put this together because there's some there's somebody else. That jumped out at me. That was there, and now I can't remember who it was. There's, there was a lot. Of yeah. It. Uh, CM Punk was there actually. Oh, was he? Yeah, towards the end, Cornette was gone by I think the time Punk came in. But yeah, he did. Uh, he did a tour there. I think Colt Cabana did. Well, Colt Cabana, there. Colt Cabana was signed by the E as Scotty Goldman, and then they never did anything with him. I don't understand how in the hell you can have Colt Cabana on your roster and not do anything with him. There's Easily, a, like Vince, a... Vince just probably didn't get the humor. Yeah. It it just seems so foreign to me. Well, there was there's that whole era, like in the probably like 2005 to 2008, where they had all the like some really good talent come through that they screwed up, like uh, Brent Albright. Uh, Paul Burchill. Yeah. 
Well, I did, I did, I, I did like the pirate Paul Virchel though. Yeah. Uh, do you remember? The, do you ever hear the story about how hard he had to pitch to Vince to do a pirate thing? We've talked about that on the podcast before. Okay. Did we? I couldn't remember if we did. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Don't mean to retread old ground. Um, no, it's it's. I think it is funny that they have to. They had to explain it to him step by step. But the um, the the other nice. They also in that time period is when uh, Rey Mysterio debuted for them. But they uh, like three weeks later or it was real close to when Ray debuted, they brought in Ultimo dragon and they only had dragon work like a couple of matches and then shuffled him off. Cause they're like, Oh, he's not as charismatic as Ray is. And it's like, you guys don't watch tape of people you hire before you put them out there. Uh, that pissed me off so much because <sighs> Ultimo Dragon's such a great talent. I was seriously, I was, I was hyped. Right, it was such go. a cool entrance too. Yeah, it was really cool. And then they just they just two matches, I think, is all it was. I'm sure he was a velocity regular. God. Yeah. Well, I just, I totally had forgotten he he was there. I totally forgot. Yeah. Yeah, but and but we did get to, see this time period. There's there is a really. Nice thing that happens in this this era has the SmackDown Six, um, which which led to a lot of really f- fun matches and feuds that that you know rotated back and forth between. <sighs> Let me. I think it was it was Edge I thought you were going to talk Ray. about the untimely death of Al Wilson. <laughs> no, I was not going to talk about that. I was going. To, I managed to successfully forget that. Thank you, Brad. That's you know how much um, I, I I feel I I do want to talk about this because of recent events on Raw. Okay. I feel like we I feel like a lot of smarks from that era owe Stephanie McMahon an apology for blaming her for the Al Wilson angle when, by Paul Heyman's recent bookings of Raw, it was obviously a Paul Heyman angle and he should have been blamed for it. Oh yeah. God, that was a that was so bad. That angle was so stupid. I was, you know, can, can we can we talk about Tori Wilson real quick? I never understood why, like what why she had a continued job for so long in wrestling. Like, she really didn't have any charisma or any real use. My guess, and I'm I'm. I'm guessing at this, but my guess is that she's nice to look at and she was nice to get along with. And a lot of people backstage liked her because she was, you know, she was a sweet person and, and, um, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not aware of her being involved with any of the boys except like David Flair, which she was married to Kidman. Oh yeah. Well, in Kidman. Yes. Um, I'm sorry, you're right. That's a huge wow. That's a huge overstep. But well, like I get like I get like I get why Stacy Keebler had a job. Like Stacy Keebler had charisma, and like she, 
she actually added something to like the whatever she was involved with. Uh huh. But like, I never really got Tori Wilson. But I never really got Sable either. So. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. Tori or um, uh, Stacy Keebler is an interesting case because she managed to add something as a manager to the Dudley boys who didn't need a manager. And yet they paired her with the Dudley boys and she added to it. So I, I, I was one of those people like, why are you putting a manager with the Dudley boys? They don't need a manager. And then it worked. Yeah, I agree with that. So I, I think, um, I think I want to, I want to, I want to finish, I guess, I guess our ruthless aggression talk with, <laughs> I, I want to, I kind of want to talk about what I feel was a squandered opportunity because he got really hot at the time and then they jobbed him one time too many before really giving him his moment. But I really feel like Edge could have been more than he ended up being due to his booking. Um, yeah, he was one of the SmackDown six edge, Ray, uh, angle, Voldemort. And then there's two others. I can't think of off the top of my head. Oh, um, the Guerreros. Yeah. Los Guerreros. Was it both of them or just Eddie? No, it was Eddie and Chavo. Mm -hmm. Like the Eddie and Chavo tag team was amazing. I loved that gimmick. That that was one of my favorite things, but I, I, I couldn't remember how no, much the, was the tag team. The tag team breakdown was Benoit and Angle, Edge and Ray Ray, and then the Guerreros. Okay. Because that also had the time that Benoit like stole Eddie's car and was yelling at him to make it do the the bouncy bounce. I don't remember that. That was during I think their U.S. title program. Oh man, I'm I'm sad that I missed that. Um, but Edge fell victim to a a uh, classic WCW folly, which was the glass ceiling. Well, it was this this guy's getting over. We're going to use this guy who is now getting over to put someone else over, and it stalls both of them. Well, it was like it was more like the we're gonna use him to put over Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Well, like they did, they they had him with work a program with RVD, and neither one of them came out of it looking strong. So it's all oh, about that. Another good one they they botched. Yeah, the, they didn't get RVD, right? Like they just didn't. By the way, RVD's shoot interview um, with Kayfabe is Kayfabe commentaries is really good. His Shawn Michaels impression is amazing, but they they didn't get what may you know who they they really just didn't understand RVD, so they didn't do everything with him they could have. I I still love when he won the title, and he's like, "Look, this one spins." Yeah. <laughs> that and then him and Sabu got caught smoking weed in a car, and it was all over. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that that made me sad because it was like, oh man, this is going to be really cool, and and it's gone. And oh, he's a pothead. Yeah. But that yes, I love that line. It's like I'm the world champion. Look at this belt, and this one spins. 
how did they keep that same gimmick belt for so long? Like, everybody else I, who gets a gimmick belt, it goes away as soon as they lose the title. I used to love that because in one of the Raw and Smackdowns, like, when they were coming out, you could hit a button to make it spin. <laughs> See, I didn't like that belt. I, 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 I loved his spinner U.S. belt. I was okay with that. But the, the that one I didn't, I wasn't crazy about, and it drove me nuts that that was like the title belt for like five years. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is I don't understand. I don't get it. They haven't. I, honestly, though, they have not had a good world title belt since. Probably the 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 attitude era one, like the big circle one. Like I didn't really care for the one that followed that, the one that like Lesnar had and all that. Then they had the spinner belt, but I don't like the modern belts either. The modern belts I hate. I'm not especially the blue one. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of the design. It's too um, what what that? It's too toyish, I think. Yeah, I can see that. Like it's 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 I don't know like a belt should be gold for starters. Yeah, it, the 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 raw one. Whenever they first did it, I it, they debuted that, and I was sitting watching it at my desk, and my wife was doing something, um, and I, I looked at it and I went, "You got to be kidding me!" And she goes, "What?" I go, "The world title belt looks like it's on a roll of fruit by the foot." <laughs> I I also think I also think a belt needs to be big. Like that's what I love about the WCW World Title. It's like it's got some heft to it. Oh yeah, God, I love that belt. That's for me. That's if you say wrestling belt, that's what it comes to mind for me. Odd, odd uh, exception at least to at least for me on the um, the the. Uh, the current era belt's not looking good on anybody. The exception for me is I think that that belt looks really good on AJ. Like, I don't know why it's different for him than everybody else, except maybe I have rose-tinted glasses or something. But it seems to work for him, and it doesn't seem to work for a lot of other people. He could could coordinate his attire to it. That probably helps. Oh, I do have to say that the sustainable world title was awesome. <laughs> that was a good eat. Was that good was eat. great, and I'm sad. I mean, I was, I was very happy that Kofi actually won, but I was kind of sad that that belt didn't get like a longer run. Yeah, same. But I mean, they're able to sell it a replica of that on ShopZone <laughs> for like four hundred dollars. Yeah. You can tell that we're old school fans because we still want to call it ShopZone. Can, can I say, like, I'm tired of WWE, like, they must really be hurting for merch sales, because I swear to God, they send me a message every day being like, hey, guess what, like, special 50% off coupon today. <laughs> like, yes, I've gotten that, like, six days in a row, you can stop now. Hey, it's 50% off, and belts are 30% off. And it's yeah, like... Yeah, great, 30% off, like, $500. Yeah, awesome. um, yeah. that makes a huge difference. What's what's kind of silly is that they're actually now. I don't know if you've noticed they're actually doing. They're doing belts for like the the specific individual wrestling stars. Like they now have a rock belt, they have a Triple H belt, they have the 
they had like the special fiend built. Yeah, which was like that was six thousand. Yeah, um, they have like a basic one and like an actually affordable one now, only like four hundred, a little over four hundred dollars. Oh, I know. Then they had um, they have like an edge belt. They have an Undertaker belt. belt. To, you remember before WWE bought that company, you used to be able to get those same belts for like two fifty to like three fifty, uh, and then WWE took over the production right up to five hundred. Oh, you can uh, you can talk to Christy Petrillo, friend of the show, about that. There was uh, oh, I, I'm sure he'll ramp up big, uh, won't he? Oh there no, we got that. We got that rant. We got that rant at the time because, yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't remember the belt rant. I remember the other rant. They they were going to charge more money, and I think they they switched to an inferior manufacturer for the belt. Like I think they were like using like some. Le- they were trying to make legitimately decent replica belts, and WWE's just print like shitting out inferior quality. I think it was his problem at the time. I don't. I, I don't doubt him in the slightest. But. It's been like six years, I think, since that happened. So I don't remember right. exactly. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to find quality uh, quality belts that aren't an arm and a leg anymore. I just, I you know, I I would consider. Do either of you own a replica belt? I know, I know, Shad, you have your your custom one, but like Matt, do you have a replica belt? The only thing that I have is like a, a toy belt. Like I don't have an actual like replica belt. I do know people who have them. Like our friend Damien, he has like a few. And uh, at his wedding, actually, he he brought them to the wedding so people could basically pose with them for like the photos. That's hilarious. I think I remember. That. They are fun to hold and take pictures with but i i just can't justify paying like 400 bucks for one yeah, if if there was one i could get for like if i could get like my favorite would be like the big gold belt if i could get like a replica of that for maybe maybe like a couple hundred then i'd probably I, do it i would i would if if i was in the right mood and it was like the classic icy title belt you might be able to convince me like if I just got like my bonus to spend three hundred dollars on it, but that would be the absolute max, and it would have to be the right circumstance. Like, but in probably a normal circumstance, like two fifty would be as high as I'd go, and even then, I'd probably still be like, nah. Yeah, the only reason I have mine is because it was like I'd said before, it's it was it was mine, so that's what that's the only reason I have it. But I only paid. 200 for it because i found someone who traded one in for a different belt so i I didn't realize that could be a thing but i guess i shouldn't be surprised that it's a thing but you can you can find some that run less they're just not as i mean they're not as well put together so if if i if you're gonna get it and you're gonna keep it on your shelf that's totally cool and it'll it'll do great for that. But if you're wanting to get it out and walk it around and stuff, you're gonna want it to be made of some, made of some sterner stuff because otherwise it'll. They just they just shove cardboard in the straps. Yeah, and the the uh, the screws that hold the plates on will just rip right through it because it's not made with real leather. 
So can I ask you a question? We're, we're going to end it after this question. Uh, we might come back and do a part two to this because I feel like we could we could dig in a little deeper on some angles and stuff next week. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I'm game. Yeah, I'm game. So, Shad, someone who has worked as an actual wrestler and has held a legitimate title belt for an indie promotion. Mm-hmm. What does like a legitimate title belt feel like versus like a cheap replica? Or I mean, I guess the promotion could be using a cheap replica, but I'm assuming not because they need it to like. It de- it depends on the promotion because um, some of them are just they're using what they got and what they can afford to use, and no judgment on that. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Um, but the 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 nice ones, um, you know, like because like you can get some generic tag belts that are nice. They're not. Um, I mean, they're not particularly special. It just has like big plate that says you know tag team champion on it. But that'll and then you can just get your your promotion inscribed into it for like a little extra or something. If you even do that part. Um, and, but it'll look, it'll look fine, right? It fills the role. First of all, like you said, the, the knockoff ones, they have the, the leather there. They have the cardboard in the, um, uh, that's, that's in the, uh, the, the, in the vinyl to, to give it some stiffness. The problem is whenever you give that stiffness, it doesn't actually settle on your shoulder. Like you throw it over your shoulder and it just sticks straight back. So it looks silly. Um, whenever you've got one that's on the real leather and you put it over your shoulder and the strap falls down, your it, it moves with you and it just – maybe it's just the atmosphere, but it feels like world's difference. Like you, it, it feels like that when, if you were to hold one in each hand, you could – you could – you know, you could – with your eyes shut. If you had your eyes shut and someone put one in your hand, you're like, which one's the replica? You could tell without missing a beat. Do you get that nice, like, leather smell to, like, a real title belt? It depends on who gym, whose gym bag it's been in. Um, oh, God. <laughs> now, funny story, and I'm not going to put a name to it, um, but there was a guy uh, in a promotion I was in. He was... He was... Uh, he was new, but they were wanting to do, you know, they were wanting to push this new guy and, and do some stuff with him. So they wanted to, to get him over early. So they, they kind of did the Prince Ikea gimmick with him where he, he got a, a mid-card title early. And he, this is so damn goofy. He had that belt and he, because normally the promoter, that promoter would take the belt with him you know, at the end of the night because they'd had some people like run off with him. Right. He said, Hey, could I, could I take this with me tonight and, 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 you know, bring it back to you tomorrow. Cause you know, it, they lived in the same town as the promoter and the promoter was like, yeah, that's okay. He took this thing and this was like, they were using this cheap knockoff belt. Like it was on the, um, it was, it was on like the vinyl and it had kind of the plasticky plates on it because, Oddly enough, someone had run off with the last one. That's why they had that policy, right? 
And so that's what they were just able to get their hands on in time. And so he goes, he took this damn thing to like a bar in town and cut a promo standing on the bar holding this, this like interim title belt that was close enough that everybody could see <laughs> it was it was like that and I, I heard the story and i'm just like oh god no did he and they're like oh yeah this this happens like how did how did you find out and they point to one of the other boys and goes he was there he saw him do it and it's like oh god and they never let him forget that he did that <laughs> well that's fun yeah well, I, I think I think this bears um, a second episode. So I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna come back next week. I think we can dig into some like real angles, maybe like dig into some summer of punk. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say maybe talk about like where we thought the invasion went wrong. Maybe get into like Benoit's like year where he got the belt finally. Mm-hmm. Maybe some team angle. Oh man, team maybe angle. the mat. The Matt Hardy Edge drama, like I think there's some stuff we could get into. Sure, a little that sounds good to me. That also had Hogan's return in it too, didn't it? Yeah. So be 2002, no 2003, no 2003. Okay, so we ought to get that in there too. So. Yep. All right. Well, hey, we want to thank everyone for joining us. This is part one of our two-parter. We'll be coming back with more of the. Uh, forgot aughts or God, I've got to work on a better name for that. Anyway, this is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth. Let us know on social media. What are we forgetting? What do we need to talk about? We'd love to hear from you and we will see you next time. Three minutes to spare. All right, guys, I gotta go. All right. Have a good one. Yeah. Later guys.